Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Media Boat Podcast. Just me this week, just Matt. Mike is on a little mini vacay uh, for a friend of the show's birthday. You can guess at home who that might be. Today is March the 5th, 2022. We're officially in March. Welcome to the best month of the year, in my humble opinion. This is the Media Boat Podcast. If you don't know what the Media Boat Podcast is, we are a podcast that brings you the newest news and thoughts in video games, movies, music, and television. Not necessarily in that order, but closer to that order than usual. (laughs) So yeah, I'm just Matt this week, um, hosting a solo show. We'll just hammer out all the news and thoughts that I have this week. We will catch back up with Mike next week to see if we missed anything. But for now, let's go hit what we have on the docket. And we start, as we typically these days start, with the music section. And we start the music section with the Billboard Hot 100, the top singles in the U.S. this week. Your number one hit is still We Don't Talk About Bruno from the Encanto soundtrack. Still hanging out there, number one. Extending that record for longest time a Disney song has ever held at number one spot. Just an impressive run, just overall. Just Families with little kids just won't stop streaming it. Well, and everybody, you know, trying to do the treadmill at the gym really fast. I'm sure it really gets you going. Whoever you may be out there streaming in Kanto's soundtrack over and over again, just to hear we don't talk about Bruno, it's working. Keep it up. Meanwhile, number two, Heat Waves by Glass Animals, still at that number two spot. A, B, C, D, E, F, U by Gale moves up to the three spot this week, climbing thanks to strength on social media. Easy on Me by Adele is number four, and back in the top five, Super Gremlin by Kodak Black. Moving on to your albums chart, your Billboard 200, your number one album is still the Encanto soundtrack. Number two, DS4 Ever by Gunna. Number three, Roll's Eyes, Dangerous, the double album by Morgan Wallen. Your number four, though, is The Highlights by The Weeknd, moving up from last week from number five to number four. And returning to the top five, Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. Your new releases this week, in case you didn't like any of those options. So Happy It Hurts by Brian Adams. Brian Adams. Make sure you get that B. You really hit that B hard. Classic Objects by Ginny Ginny Haval? I'm not actually ever sure how to pronounce her last name. There's no vowel where you think there would be between that H and that V. So I'll just say Haval for now. Who cares? Question mark. So actually more like, who cares? By Rex Orange County. And lastly, the one I'll be listening to, The Jacket by Widowspeak. Probably talk about that a little bit next week. In the meantime, here's your music news for the week. We start with the American Song Contest. Yes, the American Song Contest, influenced, of course, by Eurovision, is a is a uh, basically a competition show where they choose acts from all sorts of U.S. states and territories to compete against each other, Eurovision style, to choose one big winner. They come with, I believe, an original song. I believe it has to be an original song. Well, up until this week, I assumed that this was going to be a purely amateur affair. I thought this was going to be like, I don't know, your local like band who's hit it big, uh, like well, not big enough to be world like worldwide recognized, but hit enough to be a state favorite, I guess you could say, uh, college favorite, uh, moves up to um, 
to like to this thing and to prove that they're the best in the the U.S. Um, so I'm a little wrong about that. Turns out that professionals, this is a semi-pro organization, as professionals are allowed to compete as well. Here's the story. As American Song Contest approaches its March 21st premiere date, the Eurovision Song Contest-inspired NBC show has announced 60, or sorry, 56 artists that will compete, representing 56 U.S. states and territories, along with a new deal with Atlantic Records to release the upcoming series' original songs. Some familiar names pop up on the stage by state list by competitors. State by state, I believe is what they mean, but that's a funny typo. Including Jewel, representing Alaska. Macy Gray, representing Ohio. Michael Bolton, representing Connecticut. The Crystal Method, for Nevada. Cisco, from Maryland. And Alan Stone, representing Washington. Along with dozens not so well known outside their local territories. Kelly Clarkson and Snoop Dogg were recently announced as co-hosts for the show, and the first episode will air from 8 to 10 p.m. on March 21st, telecast live from the NBC Universal lot, with the finale slated for May 9th. I'll be checking this out. I think it's an interesting concept. I've always been kind of jealous of Europe having Eurovision and us not really having an equivalent. Um, I'm not sure how good this is going to be. Also, I feel like this fills a... Um, void left by my usual uh, American Idol watching, which I used to do before the current NBC era kind of, I don't know, ruined it for me. There's only so long I can watch um, antics between uh, Luke Bryan and Katy Perry before it drives me insane, so I've tuned out the ABC seasons more or less. But hey, this may fill that little gap. Moving on to our second and most bizarre story of this week. I swear, I swear this was not a fever dream that I had and spit, spit out in the morning, waking up in a cold sweat. No, this is real, and this happened. Video game developer Epic Games announced that it's bought Bandcamp. Yes, that Bandcamp, the online music store and community geared toward independent musicians. Terms of the deal weren't disclosed. Quote, fair and open platforms are critical to the future of the creator economy, says Epic Games, best known as the company behind Battle Royale game Fortnite. And also for that, you know, Apple uh, lawsuit that didn't end very well for them. Quote, Epic and Bandcamp share a mission of building the most artist-friendly platform that enables creators to keep the majority of their hand-earned money. Sorry, hard-earned money. I guess you also earn it by your hands because that's how you play guitar, but eh, close enough. Bandcamp will play a, quote, important role in Epic's vision to build out a creator marketplace ecosystem for content, technology, games, art, music, and more. According to Bandcamp, under its revenue model, artists receive a net average of 82% of every sale. They also currently have a promotion called Bandcamp Fridays. Every once in a while, they make a Friday where all proceeds from purchases from the store goes to the artist. Nice of them. Whether or not that will continue under Epic's leadership remains questioned. However, important to note, according to Epic, Bandcamp will still operate as a standalone marketplace and music community, and it will continue be, to be led by current CEO and co-founder Ethan Diamond. So there's a lot of questions here. Uh, I'm a big fan of Bandcamp. I support them uh, because they support independent artists, and I'm big on supporting independent artists. Um, they seem to be the best in town for that kind of support, compared to, especially compared to streaming services like Spotify and Apple and what they take uh, for each stream. 
So this is a little worrisome, though, uh, because the risk that you always have when a big corporate overlord buys your little, you know, little company, that it's going to change things. And maybe I'm not as worried as some people are out there in the music business. Uh, I do want to say, though, real quick, Bandcamp is still a business. It's still not necessarily, like, the perfect platform for independent musicians. It This isn't like, you know, you know, paving over paradise with a parking lot. This is not that. It's not like it was this perfect epitome of the greatest um, way for artists to sell music in the first place. But it was better than the like alternative was like it's it provided an alternative that paid better than your streaming options did so yeah i admit that they yeah i could see why people are concerned but at the same time i am hoping that epic keeps their word here and then lets band can't pretty much just run themselves do their own thing because i think that's when they thrive is when they're able to do their own thing and, and support their community the way they think think the community can like is best supported um does this mean a potential like competitor arises maybe another independent option maybe uh, but we'll see uh how this goes i mean also weird uh somebody on twitter pointed this out this means that harmonics the rock band people and Bandcamp are under the same umbrella which is bizarre to me and some sort of like thing in the act like like activated in the back of my mind it got me like really excited for like more independent music on rock band for a second but i was like no those, those, those things aren't guaranteed it's just like it could happen i guess but yeah this is just my brain this is what i think about every day let's move on uh to uh there's no thoughts this week uh no music really kind of like notable to talk about and uh that means we can safely move right on into the video game section these are the video games with the new releases for the week. We have Spellforce 3 Reforced, which is, I guess, a reboot, like, not a reboot or remake, um, a re-release of Spellforce 3. That's coming out on a PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. Chocobo GP coming to the Switch. That is your Chocobo racing game. WWE 2K22 this week also. PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. Important to note about the WWE game, it was finished before the recent mass exodus of WWE performers. So this will not, this will still include, I should say, this will still include the peop, some of the uh, acts that left recently the WWE. So maybe your only way to enjoy their company for the year. So, um... I guess pick up a copy if that matters to you. All right, let's move into news. Game news this week was free flowing, so we have game bits for you. Even though one, I'll probably talk more about the other. And if you know the Mediable Podcast, you know which one that is. First up, Twitch is apparently facing an employee exodus amid a culture clash, according to some reports. Um, a lot of people have left over the course of the last year, including their CEO, uh, and it seems like insider sources. Uh, say that it's because of a little bit of a culture difference between people who are hired from the tech side of things and people who are hired from the community itself. So the Twitch community of streamers is very strong and very opinionated. And it looks like the Twitch leadership is not necessarily um, providing the creators what they need, the support that they need, and the way that they need it. And so it looks like employees of Twitch are leaving because this doesn't because of this disparity because they don't feel like they're serving the community in the way that they should. And it'll be interesting to see if some of the more visible 
online presences that work on Twitch uh, will say anything about this, uh, will it have a statement at all, or if they will themselves maybe leave for other opportunities. I don't know, but what this could lead to, hopefully, is a better uh, a better like understanding of community and what the community needs, and maybe pe more people, more employees at the company uh, that work toward that goal. Because, um, yeah, if, if Twitch is such a specific business at this point, it needs to focus on what matters, the people that keep it running. And those are the streamers. Those are the streamers that put in day in, day out, so much work into making their streams enjoyable for the community. So, uh, yeah, hope that they get that resolved and that uh, more people that work there uh, realize what they're dealing with, realize what the potential of their community. Next up, we have a lot of video game related industry fallout after the, um, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. A lot of uh, companies have been called out to um, uh, pull their services uh, from Russia in order to kind of as like an, like another way of uh, pulling sanctions. We kind of talked about this last week uh, about like what we could do uh, to like to do it. And really, person by person, only so much we can do to help uh, the people of Ukraine is direct support, direct aid. Uh, but companies are seeing opportunities to basically pull business from them. So, real quick, before I go into the companies that are doing this, I just want to say I'm a little, I don't know what, what how, to, how to put this, maybe leery about maybe this being the perfect solution. The problem I have with it is that this doesn't really affect the, like, it affects the economy, and I get that, and that affects the country as a whole. And that exactly, like I talked about last week, is a way to combat Putin and what he's trying to do there. But what the, has, the other side of it, unfortunately, is it affects innocent people who just happen to live in Russia. And uh, if you don't provide these video games to them, uh, they're going, like, that, that, like if then they didn't, like, they have nothing to do with um, what the, um, the government has chosen to do here. It's affecting them in kind of an unfair way. So I'm not a super big fan of this kind of action. Um, but Ukraine apparently is the one calling for this. They apparently were kind of trying to egg on companies to be like, stop, stop supporting Russia. So it's a complicated, layered issue. It's like, I don't want to say that I don't want to uh, acknowledge Ukraine's wishes, but at the same time, it's like, a lot of people in Russia were just, just live there and are living their life, and they should not be punished for the thing that their government did they have no, that they have no power for, no power over, essentially. I don't know, it's complicated. I'm not an expert, so you know, take everything I say with a grain of salt. But, hey, there's news to report, and that I can do with confidence. So first up, Microsoft has chosen to suspend all sales of products and services in Russia. Microsoft was one of a couple companies that were specifically called out by the Ukrainian government to withdraw their sales, and they did so. Sony, uh, meanwhile, quietly pulled Gran Turismo 7's Russian release. Uh, that was their big console release last week. Um, yeah, not surprising that they would be like, put a pause on a Gran Turismo until they realize what the market looks like going forward. Uh, similarly, Electronic Arts also pulled its games from sale in Russia and in Belarus. They also removed Russian teams from a lot of their sports titles, including their hockey and soccer titles. Meanwhile, the Pokemon Company, which we'll talk about more in depth in a moment, um... They are, they've said they're going to donate $200,000 for direct aid in Ukraine. 
thought this was nice of them. Could they have donated more? Absolutely. Pokemon is a juggernaut in money-making terms, but eh, it's something, I guess. And they are a global international Pokemon, or international company. Um, so to see them doing work internationally is good. Uh, outside of current events, Resident Evil 2, 3, and 7 are officially going to come to PS5 and Xbox Series X in graphically upgraded editions. So that's exciting. If you So if you held off on the remakes of Resident Evil 2 or 3, which I hear are very good, and the more recent Resident Evil 7 Biohazard, now here's your opportunity to play it in up glory. So uh, check that out if you have the PS5 or Xbox Series X very soon. But, oh yeah, and, and um, um, Nintendo News, Evo 2022, the annual fighting game competition. Evo, by the way, as we reported last week, recently bought by Sony. They are under the PlayStation umbrella officially. They put out a statement this week saying that Nintendo has chosen not to submit Super Smash Bros. Um, Ultimate, or any Super Smash Brothers, to Evo to uh, as in any official capacity. So classically, Super Smash Brothers Melee has been a common element in Evo and has been a very popular part of it. Um, to see Nintendo be like, eh, we're not going to play ball anymore, is depressing for a lot of fans of the Smash community and fans of Evo who want to see that kind of um, that tournament held there. Uh, this could be, I mean, yeah, so they've had a complicated relationship before this already. Nintendo has re repeatedly um, had issues with their existence in Evo and in the fighting com game community. It's not how I guess they want to view uh, Super Smash Brothers. They don't want to really see it in that kind of competitive light. That being said, there's other two other wrinkles that kind of add layers and complicate this a little bit. One, the purchase by Sony. It could be that Nintendo doesn't want to necessarily do business with a company that's owned by a rival. Unlikely, but possible. The other reason is is because they did actually sign up with a different company to do uh, do uh, Super Smash Brothers tournaments. Again, that kind of that kind of uh, argues with my point I just made about them not viewing Super Smash Brothers traditionally in a tournament competitive style light. But maybe they have their own like ideas for it, and they want they don't want Evo to kind of ruin what they're planning for that. I don't know. Either way. It's weird and it's unfortunate for fight, the fighting game community. But the big news this week, at least in our circles, was Pokemon related. A Pokemon Direct happened on Pokemon Day 2022, which was February 27th. Um, I believe it's held that day in, uh, because it was the day that the first, uh, that Red and Blue originally, uh, Red and Green, sorry, uh, released in Japan. So it was kind of the Pokemon anniversary day. But yeah, on Pokemon Day, uh, they had some smaller announcements, including a um, new uh, couple, a few new quests for Pokemon Legends Arceus, the recently released Switch game. They had new uh, pro like promotions for Pokemon Cafe Remix, and um, yeah, that's pretty much what they focused on. I feel like I'm missing a couple things, but the biggest reveal was held to the end. It's Generation 9 time, baby! After virtually no hinting that this was going to happen, Nintendo released a statement saying that they kept PR on the low about this event because of the, because of the invasion in Ukraine. Understandable. Uh, but when they did reveal, what they did have to reveal was, yes, Generation 9 is here. Pokemon Violet and Scarlet. Scarlet and Violet versions will be the next, next proper generation of the Pokemon games. It appears to uh, be an open-world setting, similar to Legends Arceus and the wild areas in Sword and Shield. 
So less of the linear town-to-town, route-to-route kind of uh, progress and more open-world exploration. It looks like Pokemon will be seen in uh, tall grass, again, like Arceus as opposed to um, as opposed to the older games. Uh, we don't know a whole lot beyond that, though. Uh, it seems like the world takes place in a uh, Iberian Peninsula slash Spain uh, type location. Um, and we saw the first, uh, we saw the reveal of the starters for the game, the three, uh, the three starting Pokemon. So we have Sprigatito, the grass type cat, Fuecoco, the uh, fire type crocodile, and uh, Quaxley, the water type duck, the water type duck Pokemon with the little tuft of blue hair. Seems like uh, they're all really well liked on the internet. Usually you have one that's like everybody hates. It seems like everybody has their little factions that they've developed over the three options. I'm Team Sprigatito all the way. Grass Cat seems pretty cool to me. But the other two are pretty cute. Uh, and I like, I like them all, uh, more or less. So yeah, more news about Scarlet and Violet will happen late, at a later date. Right now, we just know that it's coming by the end of the year, which is kind of nuts. Uh, Legends and new Pokemon generation of the same year. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Of course, there's always a chance it gets delayed, but we'll see if that happens. Uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a wild reveal. I'm excited, but with trepidation, uh, because I'm hoping that they keep it to the classic. As I didn't really like a lot of the changes they made to Arceus. Arceus, however, was super successful and has been critically well liked. So maybe the fans at large will like if they stick to more of those innovations that they put in that game i on the other hand i hope that they keep those like series separate i would like more traditional caching mechanics uh because i don't really want to toss balls at things anymore but hey that might just be me maybe i'm just gonna be out outvoted and mugby pokemon is different from here on out regardless like i said we'll know more about sparkarlet and violet in the coming year all right, let's move on. Uh, just a couple of thoughts real quick. A couple of games hit my radar this week. First up, there is a demo out for the incredibly anticipated Kirby and the Forgotten Land on the Switch. That game comes out in just a few weeks, the end of the month here. But there is a demo out right now that you can play for free on the Switch. You can play it single player and or co-op with a buddy. And it gives you quite a lot of content. Three full levels of uh of the of kirby the forgotten land and it's a lot of fun i played this um in one sitting it controls great kirby is fun to move around kirby's new abilities uh like the mouthful mode abilities are fun to use and they're really flexible you can kind of ditch them whenever you want get them back whenever you want but the one thing I was kind of surprised to see is, even though the trailer seemed to hint at an open world kind of feel, this is not that. This isn't even really as open as Mario Galaxy was. Or sorry, not Galaxy, Odyssey was. This is more like Mario Galaxy. This felt like Mario Galaxy or Mario 3D World, in which that it's a 3D game, but it's very much like you more or less know the barriers of the world that you're traversing. In fact, what it feels like the most is a Kirby game. It feels like they found out a way to translate the feeling of a 2D Kirby game into 3D without losing really anything. It's amazing how much of a comparison it is. Like, they could have just, if they wanted to, they could have just made this a Dreamland title, and I think nobody would have had it in an eye once they played it. That being said, uh, it's 
feels new at the same time as feeling kind of classic and they really struck a great balance with it i and stuff i was maybe a little worried about with the translation to 3d like aiming enemies that you're spitting out of your uh, mouth or um or attacking things in the 3d space in the way that kirby does with copy abilities um feels better than i imagined it looks like there's a little bit of like aim assist happening to help you with especially projectiles which is good um and yeah so it translates to a really fun kirby experience um so yeah go, give that a check get check that out uh on um switch if you have a switch and uh download that for free it's a no-brainer we're gonna be playing the hell out of this one so get excited to hear more about kirby in the coming weeks but uh yeah for now the demo is good it seems like this game is going to be a lot of fun. And then I also played something that was not been a lot of fun for me, um, unfortunately. Well, guess what, guys? I called it. Puzzle Quest 3 is exactly what I feared it was. So, big fan of the first two Puzzle Quest games. They're classics. I love the combination of RPG uh, elements like customize, like picking up loot and customizing your character and leveling up abilities combined with Bejeweled, essentially, uh, a match three puzzle game. Great, perfect. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Except, in order to make it free to play, which is the recent direct pivot that they had, not recent, even like 10 years ago pivot that they had with the series, they've had to change a lot about how the game works. So we've had Marvel Puzzle Quest, we've had, um, I forget the other versions, but uh, yeah, like all sorts of different experiments that they've done with the serve with the game to make it more free to play friendly. And what it's created is kind of a monster. So many timers and cooldowns and currencies and and it's just a dr a way to drown in it. I was hoping that calling this game Puzzle Quest Three was going to be returned to form. Even if it is free to play, I was hoping it would be closer to those original games in gameplay and features. I was death, deathly wrong. I was so, so wrong. So this is out on Steam and Android phone right now. iOS release seems to be later date. Um, and yeah, it's got the trappings of the traditional um, Puzzle Quest games. A fantasy world, more traditional loot, uh, like that kind of powers, those kind of similar powers where you're adding gems to the field or doing extra damage or doing like type-based like poison damage. Um, but beyond that, everything else seems to borrow from the free-to-play games. Um, so, for example, when you get loot, it's on a timer. Typically, if you can't open it immediately with the key, you have three slots for treasure chest and you can only have three slots at the beginning of the game. You're leveling up your gear but it's all like crafting based you have to get stuff to do that um, and the actual gameplay of the match three has changed for the first time they are not just doing classic bejeweled turn-based uh, gameplay instead what they've done is they've ruined it in my opinion by adding more depth to it after you do an initial match you then have a timer that elapses you have like 30 seconds 20 seconds 20 seconds i think 20 seconds then to continue doing matches to do as many as you can basically in that 20 seconds so this means if you move one and that presents an opportunity elsewhere you can immediately do that new opportunity um i don't love this i don't like this because it just doesn't feel as strategic it feels like more mishmashy 
uh, a similar, it, I got a similar feeling from Pokemon Cafe, uh, Cafe Mix, the uh, mobile free-to-play Pokemon game. If you are able to do several things in a row, it doesn't feel as strategic to me. It's like, I want to just do one move, then my opponent does something. Then I do a move, the opponent does something. One thing I do like, though, is that the opponent doesn't actually play the game anymore. The opponent is fighting you. They will do an attack when it's their turn, but they will not change any of the gems on the field except for if a power does that. For, for example, if they use a power that removes a skull from the field or adds a skull to the field. But they're not matching. They're not doing any active matching in between your moves. Again, I guess it's fine. I like that part of it, but I don't like the... I just wish that they had just made this a normal Puzzle Quest game. They just made it just one move at a time. I just like that better. I don't know. Maybe it's my brain, but I just I just like that better. So I'm sticking around with it just to see if it maybe gets to a point where like I feel like I'm like not rubbing against it in kind of like a frictional way. Uh, but so far, it's just felt like friction. It felt like every step of the way it wants to keep me from enjoying it. The classic free-to-play way. So, yeah, also I'm struggling with it, and I don't love it, but it's still Puzzle Quest, and I want so badly to play Puzzle Quest again. They should really just sell, fuck, they should just do Puzzle, re-release Puzzle Quest 2 at this point. That's where I'm at at this point. Just put it out in a form that I can buy it again, please, because I just want to play that game. That's all I want to play. Anyways, let's move on. Uh, out of video games and into the television section, and we always start television with the sports corner, I would point, but there's no sports to point at, so I'm just going to kind of point in this direction. Our sports corner begins on a sad note. Anybody who's been following baseball knows that the lockout continues. The MLB has officially canceled the first two series of the season, as talks were not able to complete before the March 1st deadline. Uh, it looks like that the uh, the contention did not get resolved, uh, and so there was no deal. And the league said if there was no deal by that date that they would have to start canceling games. So yeah, we know spring training is kaput, gone, and we know the first week at least of games is gone. Whether or not they can continue and finalize talks this week uh, to see if there's any movement there will remain to be seen. Uh, but it means that there will be no baseball on March 31st, and who knows when the series, season will start proper. Meanwhile, football over at the NFL has decided that COVID is over <laughs> because they have suspended all of their COVID-19 protocols. The Combine starts this week, so that means the Combine and everything after it will exist without any sort of testing, any sort of requirements for vaccinations, any sort of requirements at all about COVID. I think this is too soon, and I worry about this being um, a dangerous thing for both the players, both new players, existing players, and for the staff. I'm very worried about this. Meanwhile, there are about 20 games remaining in the NBA season, and 30 games remaining for the NHL season, so Hope your favorites are doing well as we get closer and closer to those playoffs. And lastly, the IOC, FIFA, and the UEFA, three different sports organizations, have all suspended Russian teams from competition. How long this will last is anyone's guess, but at least for now, 
they are persona non grata and nobody wants to do business with them. As I mentioned in video games, this will have far-reaching consequences in all sorts of places. Sports is one of them. This is a little bit easier for me to swallow, I understand, because since competition is not necessarily directly related to um, like, like uh, individual compensations, um, then I'm okay. I just worry about the individual athletes who uh, unfortunately do suffer from this and cannot compete on the level that they'd like to compete. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm torn about it, but, like, it's at least a little easier than to understand, but I don't know. So that's the state of the world, guys. Hopefully it gets better. Let's move on to some television news. First up, Sony. They made news this week in the anime community as that they finally dropped the other foot. Or the other foot? The other shoe, I guess? The other shoe finally dropped for Funimation. Uh, so they affect Sony had previously owned uh, Funimation, uh, uh, the anime streaming service, and Crunchyroll was its biggest competitor. Not so anymore. They ended up purchasing Crunchyroll for $1.75 billion in cash from AT&T back in 2021, bringing together former rivals. So now they are effectively merging, finally, their two anime streaming services announced that Crunchyroll subscribers will have access to the library and simulcast content previously available only on Funimation starting on March 1st. So this has already happened. This means that if you have a Funimation account, it's pretty much useless to you at this point. Um, I believe there's a free trial that you can jump to for Crunchyroll, but having Funimation will not give you Crunchyroll. That's important to note. You have to physically cancel your Funimation account and make a new account over at Crunchyroll. Sucks, but it's what you have to do. Uh, under Sony's ownership, the anime division has now been redubbed Crunchyroll LLC. Sony said merging Funimation content into Crunchyroll will create, quote, a huge benefit for new and existing subscribers who no longer have to pay for two services. Meanwhile, in Sony Town, Sony Pictures TV has sealed a $350 million deal to acquire Industrial Media, a major non-fiction TV production company whose portfolio includes 90 Day Fiancé, so You Think You Can Dance, and American Idol, to name just a few. Sony Pictures would become the majority controlling interest in the studios that sees current competition in reality shows across TLC, Netflix, HBO, Hulu, Fox, and ABC. I mean, just hearing what they own is a good enough excuse for why they would do something like this. This is big business. 90 Day Fiancé has been huge for TLC, uh, so You Think You Can Dance as an institution at this point, and American Idol is still American Idol. Uh, it's one of the most popular programs on TV. So getting such a big powerhouse in reality television is a good move if you're Sony. Then let's move into a little bit of some television bits for you to wrap up the week in TV. Netflix has officially paused all Russian projects, so don't see, don't expect to see any Russian programming on Netflix's service anytime soon. Netflix also said that they're going to adapt the mobile app's Trivia Crack for a daily interactive game show. Yes, daily interactive game show. I know what you're thinking out there. If you're anything like me, you're like, hey, remember 1 versus 100 on the Xbox 360? <sighs> this could be it. I mean, it's probably going to be closer to something like IQ. Hey, remember IQ? But uh, I'm willing to have another kind of zeitgeisty interactive trivia competition. So, hey, I'm not in love with Trivia Crack as an existing app or name especially, but uh, this could be a neat idea. Next up, Futurama fans were happy this week when it was announced that John DiMaggio, after we talked about this, after uh, 
Negotiations did not go well initially about him returning as the voice of the character Bender. He has finally agreed to join on. I guess they finally offered him a number that he felt was reasonable for all of the voice casts combined. So congratulations. Um, this means that Futurama, Futurama fans can watch the new reboot season on Hulu without trepidation. Uh, next up, Disney Plus, speaking of other shoes finally dropping, has confirmed that the Netflix-produced Marvel series Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, The Defenders, and The Punisher will all move to Disney Plus for streaming rights. Also, all seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will join the Disney Plus uh, uh, collection as well. So, this is inter an interesting move. This is not... Okay. It's an interesting move for a couple of reasons, but it's not surprising. Any, any anybody that figured that like, like that Disney, the new Disney was going to know that eventually they were that that Netflix deal was going to expire and that they would move that stuff to Disney Plus. But the interesting wrinkle here is that a lot of that Netflix content was mature-rated content. Like Netflix was making Netflix-style shows in that universe. Shows like Daredevil, Jessica Jones, J Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage. They got really gritty and they got really violent and dark in a way that most Disney Plus content isn't. Yes, Disney Plus has moved outside of that realm for a couple of exceptions. I think notable here is um, the Get Back, the Beatles Get Back documentary, not edited for content at all. Um, so I guess I'm a little surprised that they're willing to just move this stuff over as is and retain the Disney Plus and not move them to Hulu, where I thought they were going to go. Uh, Disney owns Hulu, and it would make sense for that kind of content to be there. That's kind of where they sequester the, their FX content, for example. But I don't know. Uh, I guess Disney felt like because of the Marvel connection, all they really need to do is probably slap on like a warning at the beginning and then um, maybe introduce some age-gating, some family age-gating content in there, uh, in their uh, settings. But... I don't know. It's an interesting move, but I guess it's not super surprising. All right, we'll skip TV thoughts this week because, uh, as everybody knows, it was the finale of The After Party on Apple TV Plus this week. We would love to talk about that more, but I will wait until we're in the same room because I'm sure Mike has thoughts. So we will wait, put pause on that, till next time. I'm also still in the middle of the genius, the Kanye West uh, documentary on Netflix. Still haven't finished that up. We'll probably wrap that up for you and talk about it next week as well. No cancellations or renewals and no deaths this week, so let's move on to the last segment, movies, where we always begin with the box office no, box, bleh, the weekend box office numbers. I can talk, I swear I can. Your number one movie is still Uncharted with another $23 million. That's sitting pretty at $83 million domestic. Number two, Dog with another $10 million. That's at $30 million. Number three, Spider-Man No Way Home with $5.8 million, adding to $779 million. Woo! Number four, Death on the Dial, with another $4.4 million at $32 million domestic, and rounding out your top five, Jackass Forever, with another $3.1 million, making uh, a total domestic total $52 million. In case you're wondering about Studio 666, last uh, the recent release with Foo Fighters, with the Foo Fighters uh, making a horror movie, only made $1.5 million. So nobody really knew that it existed, but hey, it'll probably have a second life on streaming and video. This week, though, everybody is excited for the newest release, The Batman. Robert, Robert Battinson is finally here 
So uh, I'm sure if you care about that, you probably already saw it. So congratulations to you. All right, let's move on to some movie news. Your first story takes us to a familiar uh, subject of ours, AMC Theaters. CEO Adam Aaron dropped a bombshell this week by announcing that the tickets to The Batman will be slightly higher than the prices for other movies playing at the same theaters at the same time. He said this during an AMC earnings call. According to Entertainment Weekly, AMC is charging an extra $1.50 on adult tickets for The Batman in Los Angeles. Quote, this is all quite novel in the United States, but actually, AMC has been doing it for years in our European theaters, said Aaron. Indeed, in Europe, we charge a premium for the best seats in the house, as do just about all other sellers of tickets in other industries. Think sports events, concerts, and live theater, for example. He's not wrong. That is the norm when it comes to theater and sports. You definitely pay higher prices, or yeah, you charge higher prices for bigger gamed events. But <sighs> movies were pure, man. No, I actually don't care that much. I mean, if the business wants to do this, they know that the, 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 the people are going to pay it. People are going to pay whatever they want to see the Batman on day one. Um, am I worried? Yes, that this is taking advantage of, of, of certain customers. Absolutely. Yes, it is. But at the same time, they're going to do it. Like, it's, I feel like this is going to be the new normal. This is just the beginning of this changing. I think it's a miracle that it's lasted this long this way. But what are you going to do? Um, so, yeah, this sucks in a way. But also, the movie business is going to be the movie business. And AMC is probably holding on to any opportunity they have right now to make more money than they have uh, than they have been before in this pandemic so oh well but moving on to the biggest movie news of the week the sag awards happened sag awards are often a pretty good bellwether for telling how oscar season is going to go apple original films coda won the big prize of outstanding performance by a cast in a motion picture with troy kotzer picking up a win for supporting actor while Jessica Chastain and Will Smith won their respective lead acting categories. Ariana DeBose made history with winning the supporting actress category as the first openly gay woman to win that category for West Side Story. On the TV side, there was no shocker that Ted Lasso and Succession won outstanding performance by an ensemble in comedy and drama, respectively. Also, Gene Smart of Hacks, Jason Sudeikis from Ted Lasso, Kate Winslet of Mayor of Easttown, and Michael Keaton for Dope Sick, won their respective acting categories. The big winner was Squid Game, taking home Stunt Ensemble, and both lead acting categories for Jung Ho Yuan and Lee Jung Jae. So congratulations to all those winners. Whether or not this will actually push Coda towards a Best Picture nomination is questionable. I don't think it, ha or no, not, not nomination, win is questionable. I don't think it has that kind of drive to it, but I've been shocked before, um, so who knows. Uh, what this means for the Oscars, but it definitely isn't going the way I thought it was going to go. Then speaking of Oscars, one last thing to wrap up the show today. I'm continuing my Oscar catch-up trying to watch more movies that are nominated for Best Picture, and this week just so happened that West Side Story was finally streaming on Disney+. Plus. I watched that last night. I had a great time with it. I think if you're going on into it expecting a um, modern version of the existing uh, 1960 uh, uh, version of this of the film of film version of the of the musical bleh. film version of film version of the musical then I think there may be some potential uh, disappointment and it's not exactly an adaptation of that 
Instead, it's a reimagining, I would say, of the musical. And I liked a lot of the changes that they make. I think Spielberg uh, shot it in a very interesting, compelling way. I think there's a really a lot of great cinematography here. I think that some of the choices they made to slightly adjust the story and or characters were good. But as a visual spectacle and musical-ass musical, I still think that the original movie bests it. But I like both of them for different reasons, and I like that what, a lot of what this one did. So if you're expecting big, bombastic, feel-good musical, this may be not be up your alley. This is more gritty. This is more realistic take on the same idea. But the choreography and music is still great. The one takeaway I would say is the music here is still the reason to see this. It's still as great as it's always been. One of the best musicals of all time for a reason, and even this new version doesn't remove that from being the case. So, so yeah, I enjoyed West Side Story probably more than Friend of the Show Christie did. But, um, but yeah, I think it's a good retelling of that kind of that story in a new way that really surprised me in some ways. So, cool, good, movie good is what I'm saying. And hey, maybe Spielberg does have a chance at at that best director uh, because I was really impressed with what he was able to pull off here. All right. That will do it. That will wrap it up for movies, and then we'll wrap it up for this week's edition of the Media Boat Podcast. We will be back in full force next week. Mike will be back. We will have full thoughts that we missed this week. We'll have more news. We will have all sorts of stuff for you. So stay tuned and wait for next week, and we'll be back with more Media Boat Podcasts. If you want to see us live on YouTube, you can go to youtube.com, search Media Boat Podcast. You can also find us in audio form. Media Boat Podcast is where you'll search and stuff like iHeartRadio, Spotify, unfortunately, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search our name and you'll find us, Media Boat Podcast. One quick note, programming note for you. It is March, and if you're a long-time listener, you will know March is when we get mad. We're currently doing a March Madness Bracket Showdown on our podcast feed episode one of that will be released this week so get excited we are making a bracket of the best disney animated musical songs so a few years back we did a bracket for best animated disney musical uh, or animated film i think we were more broad with that one this time we're focusing on the songs we have picked one song per movie to compete in a 16 song bracket to decide what is the best of all time we've already begun that process on uh, and we will continue that process through the rest of the month. So ending by the end of March, choosing one song to rule them all. If you want to tune in and listen to that, you can download those episodes on our podcast feed. Again, search Media Boat Podcast on any of your podcast services. Um, what are the other plugs? Oh, social media. We're on social media networks like Twitter, at Media Boatcast is our handle on there. Search our name media boat podcast on facebook to find us there and if you want to email us if you have questions comments any feedback you want to give us about the show please email us at mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com if you email us there we might read your question on the air so drop a line say hi all right that'll be it for this week we'll be back next week see you next time Bye bye